welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Jem Kennedy. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm a transformational practitioner and coach living in the UK. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Queers & Co. I'm feeling quite refreshed this week. The sun is shining and I'm starting to feel springy. I even bought myself a pair of sandals, which I'm very excited about because they're all different colours and yeah, they're bringing me joy. Um... And speaking of things that bring me joy, wow, look at that segue. I (laughs) am really excited to introduce you to this week's guest. So they are just great. And I finished editing the episode just a moment ago and listening to them just made me smile so much. So I'm sure that you're going to love them and enjoy hearing what they have to talk about. My guest is a journalist at the BBC. She's also a writer, a poet and a drag king. And I'd highly recommend that you check out her work in all its various forms. There'll be some links obviously in the show notes so you can go ahead and do that. So without further ado, allow me to introduce Lydia burns Rollo. Hi Lydia, thanks so much for joining me. Hi, I'm so glad to finally be joining you on the podcast because we talked about it so long ago um it just feels like time is a flat disc I'm not sure if it was two weeks ago or eight months ago um but a lot has happened in between so I'm really delighted to be here with you yeah absolutely it's good to have you and I was thinking um because we met at Thrive in Doncaster which wasn't even a year ago but almost feels like a different lifetime now oh it just feels like a completely different existence I remember eating in the uh, the cafe at the theatre and I remember sitting and getting really close to complete strangers and that just feels so bizarre now. Yeah gosh I feel like I'd already for- I've forgotten about that. <laughs> Did we used to do that? I can't even remember. <laughs> I know and do you know something I was thinking about Thrive um, the other day uh, and I in my mind it was like so long ago it was definitely over a year ago but it still hasn't come up in my Facebook memories because it's not been a year it's just crazy yeah I think it was the 20th of January and then we have mutual friends who put the event on so it'd be great to give them a plug um Lindsay McGlone and Heidi Maver who did this awesome event in Doncaster and it was such an incredible venue as well with lots of really great people talking and uh, you performed some poetry as well which was awesome I did. I uh, I read my poetry and I was in a discussion. It was just, it was just wonderful to just be with some fantastic women, strong, empathetic, wonderful women, um, who were just absolutely living their best life. It was great, and there was so much emotion. There were tears. There was joy. There were all the things that you would want out of an event like that. Yeah, absolutely. I hope they're going to do it again soon. Um, so. Normally, when we start the podcast, I ask people just to introduce themselves and uh, to share a little bit about how they identify in in different ways. So if you could do that, that would be great. I certainly can. Um, Have you got half an hour? Because I have many introductions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Lydia burns Rullo. I am 36 years old. So I am a married, cisgender, mixed race, black lesbian who is married to a wonderful cisgender woman. And I've been married to her for nearly seven years, nearly eight years, um, and we'll have been together 10 years in March. Um, Yeah, and it's, you know, I am so lucky because lockdown could have been very hellish, but I've had her by my side the whole time. So uh, I've been very lucky this year. That's great. And um, so there's, with the different intersecting identities that you mentioned, there's lots to unpack. And um, there's another one that you may not kind of mention 
uh, to begin with, but is one that I know uh, you talk about a lot on social media, for example, and that's neurodivergence and being ADHD. Yeah, it's. It, it, I mean, I think the reason I don't um, include it in my introduction is because it's still so new to me, really. Um, I am not diagnosed uh, and my journey into understanding my neurodivergence is mostly thanks, may I add, to Heidi Maver. And it this it started at Thrive last year when mm. um a, a couple of people sort of went, Ah, you're one of us and I was like, Am I? And the more I learned about it, um the more I realised that I probably do have ADHD. And I've I've thought about a lot of different things that could be over the year, but I'm I've kind of settled on I think I have ADHD. I think I've always had ADHD. And actually last night, um I had like a huge revelation, which led me to be awake at two o'clock in the morning. Um oh, no. I, I went on TikTok and started watching um ADHD challenge videos and I found myself um I basically found myself uh, in all of these videos where they're saying, you know, go into your office, you know, or go to your workspace and show me the pile of empty notebooks that you have bought because they're beautiful that you've never written in. And um, I have like at least 20 that are completely <laughs> empty, you know, um, show me the thing that you bought and then got bored of. Well, that was my PS1. I was really excited to get a PS1. And then as soon as my wife started, spending money on games for me I completely lost interest but I am hoping to get that interest back and then the sort of latest hobby thing that I've kind of lost interest in is this podcast which is called Black Lives Natter which during the summer I had some seriously delightful hyper focus with it like I was loving it um it's something that I am doing with um LJ Murray and she is a powerhouse of an artist and we were just feeding off the excitement um from each other and then all of a sudden the dopamine hit stopped we both got really busy at work and all of a sudden it's just not fun anymore and it it, mm -hmm. it, it will be fun it will become fun again but at the moment, we're just kind of, and we both realized on a call the other week, we were like, oh my God, this is because we're, we, we have ADHD. That's oh, what. We both has, have ADHD. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah. Um, that's the thing that's, you know, put the, the dampener on it. And it's really frustrating because it's things that we really, you know, it's something that we really loved and believed in and wanted to do, you know, holding space for um, black people of color. Um, and, it's just all all of the energy is drained away, um, but we will come back to it. It's it's still it's you know it's still on the burner. It's just on a low heat at the moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because it sounds like a really exciting and interesting project, and I think the name as well is incredible. Yeah, that was LJ's like miracle. She was just talking on Facebook one day, and uh, she said, I remember she said something like, "When two people of color." get together and have a conversation about their identity is that a black lives matter and um, myself and ruby with three Ys both went straight onto the post and was like this could be a podcast and um i was like as soon as i saw it ruby had already commented and i was like oh 
I've missed out because definitely this is a perfect vehicle for Ruby. But Ruby was amazing and said, I don't think that this is the right vehicle for me. And I think that you should get another person of colour. How about Lydia? And I was like, thank you so much. And and LJ and I have only known each other for a year. We met on Facebook, again, through Heidi, because she is the conduit through all through which all things happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was looking for somebody for a, a video that I was shooting um, in my journalism and she recommended LJ. And since then, we have become so close, even though we've never met in person. It's like having a sister um, to the point where we have had huge blowout arguments and not spoken for three days and then just come back and everything's been fine. Um, she's also mixed race um, and we have had similar yet different journeys through life we've both had things about you know having afro hair and how weird that is as a child she's a slightly different generation to me i'm sure she won't mind me mentioning she's like gen y uh, gen x and i'm like a millennial um mm-hmm. so it's like having a big sister and i don't have a big sister um i have a younger brother and so it's been wonderful to find this other person who um, has shared so many of the experiences in my life uh, that I've had in my life and she's just wonderful and so this the podcast came about because the anti-racism movement uh, was sort of sweeping the world and we were both extremely affected by racism in our day-to-day lives and we wanted to mm-hmm. talk about it um, so it started off with just a few sort of meetings chatting away about our our experiences and then it built into a brand but then again ADHD sets in and we want it to be perfect that's the other thing about ADHD we don't want to launch it until it's perfect and um, I think that if we keep that mindset and don't find a way to fix it maybe by bringing in a neuro uh, a neurotypical person I don't know I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> ready to do that yet though um, <laughs> Uh, I, I just don't I don't know if we'll ever get started, but I, it's always in my mind. It's always on my mind mm. that I want to do it. Um, I've always wanted to have my own podcast. It's it's been again something that I've just never been able to start. And I'm gonna and I'm, I'm gonna jump all over the place during this conversation because everything intersects. Mm. You know, um, the only thing that doesn't really intersect as that much any these days is is my sexuality because that is so sort of I mean I'm I'm what you might call home homonormative now you know I'm married and live in a lovely house with two cats and my wife like I'm living the dream so there's not much about my sexuality that um sort of stresses me out but everything else in my life it's all tied up together the the Black Lives Matter thing is so intrinsically linked into my identity, but then is just constantly being ruined by this other bit of my identity, which is my neurodivergence, which me- leads me to forget to post on Twitter when I said that I would. Um, but it will it, it will happen again. It will come back. Just so you know, this conversation is probably going to last a lot longer than forty five minutes. I do chatter. <laughs> And I That's fine, no worries. Not at all, it's great. Um, yeah, and I think hearing you say that, it sounds really exciting. Um, and I'm sure when the time comes for you to launch the podcast officially, that it's going to be huge because I think the, well, one, the name is going to draw a lot of interest, I think. It just, it's so clear about what it is about, I think. Um, 
and yeah I think the the thing that I was interested well I have so many questions about what you said but I guess um one of the things that interests me is what the experience was like of not only finding someone with whom you've shared um in LJ with whom you've shared kind of uh, experiences growing up together and you talked about being a people of color in the UK and that kind of thing but also then um in the same year that you find out that you're neurodivergent most probably also uh, recognizing that or being able to share that with her what what has that experience been like well being neurodivergent is a challenge but realizing that you're neurodivergent is it does make things easier because you can sort of understand why things are the way they are. Um, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because it's great that I now, like now I know why I, the other day I went into the kitchen, saw the chicken, thought, must put that in the fridge, and then walked out of the kitchen without putting the chicken in the fridge. You know, I know why I'm why that happens. It's, it's executive functioning. It's distraction. It's all of these things. Um, but my my wife is um, quite exceptionally neurotypical. I I, I believe um, she's so like logical and focused, and she can concentrate on things, but not to the detriment of other things. And she can clean the house just because the house needs cleaning, rather than because I'm supposed to be doing something else. You know, so mm-hmm. I haven't really had. Um, that many people to talk to about being neurodivergent but Heidi like I say has been there for me so much and has taught me so much um but I do think it's a different experience as a person of color as a black woman because there's already this expectation of the sort of person that you're going to be um and you know you can't see neurodivergence in people Um, but no one looks at me and mistakes me for a a, a white woman, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and there's not that many studies. In fact, I I can't even think of one study that has been done specifically on black women who are neurodivergent. I am probably wrong in that case and, uh, don't at me. Um, (laughs) I do, I do as much research as I can be bothered to do. And I, a lot of my stuff is, is lived experience. Um, so having this conversation so I won't go into all of the details but um LJ and I had a a a bit of a bust up and it was just like we both were in a weird place and we both got angry and we both misunderstood um each other and it just ended up being an argument and then we had a really good long chat and that was when we both realized the reason we were not on fire for the podcast anymore and it was because uh, of our ADHD Mm. and it was such a sort of it was a real like bell moment like ding that's it and once you've got that clarity you can do what you can to make a change or you can sort of accept that making the change right now isn't it's just not going to happen but mm-hmm. live in the in the belief and the knowledge that if it's important, it will come back and it will happen. Um, and having that conversation with LJ and having that realization, it just made it feel even more like a sisterly relationship. Because I know that if there's something going on, or if I'm stressed out, or if I'm having what um, Heidi calls ADHD brain, 
um, she understands, you know, mm-hmm. and she's not going to, um, she's not going to judge me for the mistakes that I make. And, you know, that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. It's super important to have um, like-minded people around you. And I guess, as you're saying with, um, obviously, I, I don't know if anyone listening to this might be thinking, oh, how do you know if you haven't got a diagnosis? But obviously there are lots and lots of people in the neurodivergent community who self-identify and that is a completely valid thing to do. Um, also because it can be so difficult for um, non-male, non-white people to get diagnoses because quite often the um, DSM requirements or kind of criteria are written based on how uh, neurodivergence shows up in white males right Um, absolutely yeah yeah and so there is also a need very often to be able to self-identify and um, I think that that's sometimes uh, sometimes not taken as seriously as it could be or should be and then I was thinking about, well, we talked before about all the different things that I'd like to ask you. So I'm <laughs> conscious of not bombarding you with millions of questions. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe let's go to, um, so I know you've mentioned that your sexuality is like really stable and you're um, very settled, but there's this really interesting piece around being a drag king and um, sort of being involved in queer culture. And it would be so cool to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, I, I almost feel like um, a, an old granddad about to tell his history because um, because one of the other things about my neurodivergence has been that things that I have forced myself to tolerate over the years, um, I'm kind of just going, it's not worth it. It's okay mm-hmm. to not do that. And one of those things, I really love doing drag but I, the the thing happened where I lost the love for it because I no longer got the dopamine hit of doing it because mm-hmm. it became work um and also uh wearing a beard often makes me want to rip my own face off so I am um, you know my my uh, drag persona uh is called Dick Slick he this year would have been or is is his 10th year um my 10th year as a drag king i had intended to host um the roast of dick slick um <laughs> on i think it was the 30th the 9th of may the 9th of may was going to be the the roast of dick slick and then it just obviously never happened and i do think maybe i should have done a an online version but i might just do it for his 11th year instead yeah, and not? i was going to get a few friends to come and uh, rip me to shreds and i you know our community the drag king community is is so close knit i i have friends that i have only met through drag who like my 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 brother jack the lad um Kaz, is my best friend um and again uh, she is a, a woman of colour. She's she's Indian, and so we share a lot of you know being kings of colour is just it's yet another intersection, you know, um, and being a drag king was like the heart and soul of my life for uh, for a long time. I started doing it in 2010. A friend of mine begged me to come and be part of. A, a drag competition because she didn't have enough drag kings it was a drag king competition at vanilla and in, mm-hmm. in canal street and um i was like i'm not doing that she's like but you used to do drag and she's right when i was um 18 19 i did drag the first 
time I was ever in, well, actually the first time I was ever in drag, I was like eight. And um, honestly, dressing a an eight-year-old girl um, up in men's clothes is definitely a gateway drug to drag. It really is. <laughs> I blame my mother for it. Um, I, I had to sing uh, In the Mood. No, I had to sing Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree uh, and I, I, in front of the whole school. And I absolutely loved it. Um, so fast forward, what, 10, 12, 13 years and... Uh, it was World AIDS Day and I decided to dress in drag and I have no idea what prompted me to do it. Mm. I decided to dress in drag and I tied my boobs down with a cut-up sheet um, and I went to the LGBT um, event where we got to meet a semi-famous DJ. It was someone that had been on Big Brother backstage and I got uh, her to sign an autograph for me to Danny. Danny was my drag name that night and uh, I really enjoyed it. And then whenever there was fancy dress to do, I always dressed up, uh, you know, as a gangster or, you know, it was always some male character. And even in my studies, I, I was doing drama at the time and we did the seagull and I dressed, I took the male role, uh, Medvedenko, and we did Victorian Music Hall. Um, and I decided to do male impersonation, uh, not least because I had just watched Tipping the Velvet for the first time and thought oh. it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> the best. It was. It was just. It really was the best. And then, it, it, but after that, it was fifteen years um, after leaving university that mm. I was in. You know that I decided to do it again. And the second I got up on that stage and lip synced um, to remix to ignition which is annoyingly still one of my favorite songs but I can't listen to it anymore and actually at that time I had to retire my my drag name because at that time my drag name was R Kelly oh really yeah orcs um <laughs> but like R Kelly like our kids because I'm from Manchester oh of course yeah That's clever yeah it was um but then he turned out to be an absolutely awful human being so I mm -hmm. had to get rid of that name and I've been through a few names I had a few different personas um Lionel Rich T <laughs> I wanted to sort of solidify my drag into one persona mm -hmm. um so at one point I was called the drag king um mm -hmm. but other people in the drag king community did not appreciate that um so for a while there were a few there was a, a bit of a uh fractioning of the drag community because we're you know we're a small set of fish in a small pond in a really small community and so you know there, there were arguments and debates and discussions and um we had a a night that was running at a bar. I'm not going to say names. Um, we had a night that was running at, at a bar and then the person that ran that night stopped doing it. So we no longer had a night. And then I said that I would, you know, start doing the night and I would take it over. And it, it was called the boy zone. I renamed it, rebranded it and called it the boy zone. Um, and at, around that time, I realized that I needed to, I needed a, a, a better name. And my dear friend, Rusty Von Chrome, uh, who was one of the best drag kings I have ever 
shared stage with, may I add, um, a drag burlesque performer um, was round at my house and suggested Dick Slick. And I was like, ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was then my name and that has been my name ever since. And it's it's actually been my longest name um, and will probably be my drag persona for the rest of my drag life because it's just such a quirky, funny name and people have always, you know, always got something to say about it. And also it really describes the character. He's He thinks he's slick, but he's really a bit of a dick, you know. <laughs> And um, being a a drag host was fantastic for me because it meant that I was able to do this thing for my community that Mm -hmm. wasn't really happening anywhere else. So I put on what was a performance night. It started as a sort of straight performance night. And if people wanted to come up and do a lip sync, they could send, like if they wanted to send us some music that they'd edited or whatever, then I would just open up the stage for them. You know, and I used to say, and again, this is more proof of my neurodivergence. I used to say it's a very organic night. And by that, I meant it was completely unplanned. I had no running order and I hadn't rehearsed anything. That's what I meant by it's a very organic night. And um, it just worked. It worked so well because even if no one turned up to perform, I would just get up and sing and we'd do a bit of karaoke. Uh, Nikki, my wife, um, who I definitely haven't talked about enough during this podcast, she is like the best person. She puts up with so much um, from me. She DJed for me for nothing for five years, you know. And I, I know if I said I wanted to start doing the night again, she would she would do it for me because she's just a wonderful person. So we we would she would get the karaoke um, stuff out and. People could come up and do karaoke. And then we moved to a different bar. We moved to um, Tribeca, which is still, it's a, still a gay bar, an LGBT bar, but it's a, it's not on Canal Street. It's just off Canal Street. So we didn't get as much foot traffic. But that was where it became something completely different and really, really queer. And that was like my favorite time of doing uh, doing the night um, it was no longer the boy zone it was something else it was a karaoke night mm-hmm. um, and all these queer queens turned up thanks in no small part to Jack the Lad who suddenly became the best marketing manager in the world um, and we had people like Cheddar Gorgeous um, and it evisceration and you know licorice black coming and donna trump coming to do karaoke at my night like i was so starstruck and it was amazing and and even and they would all come out of drag you know it wasn't for them to it, it wasn't a night for them to come and be on it was a night for them to come and just enjoy themselves um but then my mental health started to decline uh work got very stressful and busy and the numbers were dwindling a little bit and it was getting into winter you know and it just wasn't working anymore and also um like it's not like I was going and getting a proper wage for the Mm. amount of work that I was doing because when you're a drag king you really have to prove that you know you are getting money over the bar on a like Wednesday night or a Thursday mm. night, they will never give you a Saturday night. 
you know, and even if it's a night when they wouldn't normally be open and they've got people in there and they're making money over the bar, there's still no guarantee that you'll get paid. And again, Jack the lad went up to the bar and was like, you want to sort Dick's look out because he's been here for five hours, you know? Um, Mm. And I, I've got a lot better at asking for my worth and asking for my rates. And now I don't do my own night because it's just, it's a lot of work and I cannot be organized enough to do it. But what I will do is I'll, I'll take on work and I'll go and do a a slot or I'll host. Mm. Um, Obviously not since, um, gosh, last I can't even remember the last time I did live drag, which is sad. And watching, I was watching um, God Shave the Queens on uh, BBC Three. If you've not seen it, it's like a follow-up to Drag Race UK. And it's hilarious. And it's all of these amazing British queens just being extremely British. And um, I mean, like... I'm sure none of them will mind me saying a lot of them are actual trash queens. Like there's one of the queens who is really ill on a night out and sneezes food all over one of the other queens. And it's just the most British like trash queen stuff that you've ever seen. But it's hilarious and I love it. And it's got my favorite queen in it. Back rolls. Okay. Back rolls. That's not a name. I just have to find her. And this is, you know, you might, you could actually put this bit in because what I'm doing right now is this is how I manage my um, memory problems. I have my mobile phone like permanently attached. And if I can't remember something, I'll remember a thing about them and then I'll go and find them. Um, Mm -hmm. Alyssa Edwards. There she is. So she is in this, this show. And, um, all I could think was, God, I wish I was watching. I was watching live drag um, mm. because it's just so wonderful and fun and exciting. And watching it on TV just isn't as good. Yeah, there's not much like live drag, I think. Just popping in with your episodely reminder to take a few breaths, look at the sky and grab a drink of water. While you do that, I just wanted to remind you that my course, Making Waves, Self-Empowerment for Social Change, is running from the middle of May again. There are two cohorts this time, one for Thursday evenings, UK time, and one for Friday mornings. So hopefully you can find a time that works for you no matter where you are uh, located in the world. The course essentially helps people to do the inner work that they need in order to make effective social change. And it's important to mention that your social change can look any kind of way. Uh, It could be just how you live your life. It could be something that's more organised, like a bigger project. However it looks, this is just to help you um, maximise how impactful it can be. The course will be running for eight weeks and it's essentially a two hour Zoom call every week. And then in between times, you have a really awesome workbook with lots of exercises that you can dip into um, to kind of support you in in that work. There's also a really great sense of community because we are with each other for eight weeks. And I know that um, past groups are still in touch with people that they met on the course, which is really lovely. If you would like to sign up, head to gemkennedy.com slash making waves. You can also find out more info about the course. And if you have any questions, please feel free to let me know. 
I'm also offering a discount to podcast listeners who sign up before the end of April. If you enter the code podcast 10, then you will get 10% off of the course as well. Hopefully see you there. And now I'll let you get back to listening to Lydia. So I feel like we could talk about drag all evening because it's one of my favorite subjects. Um, but it'll be really cool to hear more about your relationship with your body because I know that's something you said you'd be um, sort of keen to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because the thing is, I mean, again, it links really nicely into drag because as a drag king, um, you know, there's the binding, there's the finding a suit that fits. I'm very mm-hmm. hippie. I'm very busty. Um uh, and I have damaged myself doing drag. Um, I I strapped down. I used to s- strap my breast down using um, like duct tape. Do not do mm. this. Do don't just don't um, disclaimer. Do not do this. <laughs> um, and I used to stick it directly to my skin. And I mm. still can't believe looking back that I used to do it. And one night it was uh, Red Nose Day, Comet Relief, and I dragged for too long and when I got home I took the skin off with the tape um from my boobs and I still have a scar on one of them and it was very painful um Mm. but drag is pain you know it just is uh but (laughs) and I I do eventually not for drag purposes I might add I do want to get a breast reduction at some time in the future because my boobs are very very big and uncomfortable and make my back hurt and all of those things Mm -hmm. um it is partly aesthetic and I think it's okay to say that um but most of it is because they are just constantly in the way and I would like my clothes to fit better you know I think um if I had the means to get all of my clothes tailored maybe it wouldn't be or if I'd have if I could just friggin teach myself to do it things that I have tried but weren't good at immediately so quit doing yeah uh seem <laughs> seamstressing um maybe it wouldn't be such an issue but just recently i've really been thinking about the relationship i have with my body um because i used to be a real serial dieter and unfortunately just made me stop loving food because i really mm. love food i mean it's delicious i don't know if you know um <laughs> And I, I have heard. <laughs> it's 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 not common knowledge, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and I I used to be a chef, so oh wow, uh, only very briefly. And actually, funnily enough, I think it could have been somewhere I made my career because it's very good for people who have ADHD because you're always on the move. Mm. You're you know everything's a process. Like building a plate is like there's a process to it, and that's good. Um, and I was up and downstairs, so I was expending so much energy, and it was great, mm. um, but didn't work out. But now I get to use those skills at home, and I can always throw something together. Like today, on my lunch break, I made something for tea, which is um, waiting to be made, which is a, a roast uh, red pepper and chicken soup. And uh, I, jo- I always joke that um, when I'm sad, I make soup. I'm not sad today. I'm just really tired and fancied soup. But when I'm sad, I go downstairs and make soup. And I, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I always, I don't like removing the things that give things flavor. So why mm. would you, you know, take out all of the delicious butter and salt and, you know, everything else? Yeah, maybe I'll have a heart attack when I'm 50, but at least I'll have eaten some really delicious food. Yeah, um, and you probably won't. No, <laughs> and probably I probably not. won't. Yeah, I probably won't. <laughs> probably I most fine. probably, there, you know, 
especially if um you know let's be honest most heart attacks these days are caused by high stress lives Mm -hmm. and you know I'm trying my best to do less of that um so I used I did a lot of diets and then I I heard this phrase and I don't know where I heard it I'm 99% sure that I didn't make it up but maybe I did um I don't think I did I really don't but it's body neutrality and as soon as Mm -hmm. I heard it I was like ding that is exactly what I need to move towards it's not about body positivity and people in the body positive movement like some of my best friends are in the body positive movement and um, I think it's great but it's just not for me Um, Mm. because sometimes you can't love your body because it is really messed up like I have really bad periods and so loving my body when it's physically hurting me is difficult Mm -hmm. Um, but I also don't want to hate my body so my sort of mantra now is my body is my body Mm -hmm. you know I don't I I try not to attach any sort of morality or positivity or negativity to my body my body does what it does and it will do what it does whatever I do Mm. so yeah body uh, my I try to nothing my body I don't love it I don't hate it I I just I just nothing it and since I've started doing that I've been feeling a lot better about my body and Mm. I walked past a mirror um in the all (laughs) together and I was like oh well look at that not as bad as I thought and it's because I hadn't been negative self-talking my Mm-hmm. body I'd just been kind of ignoring it you know yeah it's fascinating isn't it I yeah. think that constant striving because I I mean I first sort of uh when I found out about body and sort of anti-diet stuff um was definitely kind of really into body positivity and then the more I found out about it and how you know co-opted it's been and that there's such a narrow window of bodies that are acceptable within it and those kinds of things um actually like for me it moved to body liberation so just being like I for example for me that looks like not shaving my legs or under my arms because I don't want to do it yeah um and other things as well but um yeah I think that idea of the the pressure of constantly having to love our bodies or the con- it's a bit like self-care you know that pressure of like constantly having to do self-care right or love our bodies right is really exhausting and it just becomes another thing we can beat ourselves up about absolutely um, yeah and actually moving away from that and being like because I got to a place where I loved my body I was like man my body is so great I love it so much <laughs> everything about it just feels brilliant and that was such a new feeling for me yeah. and then I'm not joking like one tiny thing changed and I was like oh for fuck's sake <laughs> I hate my body <laughs> and then you know like right back to the beginning yeah. of having to start on that process again and it's exhausting and um, that pressure to love is almost just as difficult as that pressure to hate that we get from the diet industry yeah so yeah I'm, I'm all for like being in the middle and just I have a body like I I think more about now what my body's trying to tell me like what yeah um I'm really into like embodied stuff um all my clients know this because I'm a bit obsessed with it um how does that feel in your body um but yeah that that feels really revolutionary for me like actually being in touch with it and yeah. being neutral about it rather than kind of actively trying to love it all the time yeah, at the moment I'm like, because when when you start to nothing your body, you do hear the signs when mm-hmm. something is wrong much louder. 
um, more more loudly. I used to be so much better at English. I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> so much more loudly. And I, uh, so for example, at the moment, my body's just like, give me figs. And I'm like, okay, I'll give you figs. And figs mm. make, make me feel happy. And, um, you know, I feel like it's a, it's something that my body's kind of craving. And sometimes, you know, the self-care thing, I am all for self-care, but I am also all for whatever self-care is for you. Yeah. Like I've heard things like self-care isn't all bubble baths and chocolate bars. Well, do you know what? Fuck that. Because for me, a lot of the time, um, you know, self-care is eating half a bag of dime bars from Ikea and that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, and sometimes self-care is looking at myself in the face and going clean your goddamn room, do it, just mm-hmm. do it. Um, and sometimes it's sending a message to your mate to say, take your meds because that helps you remember your meds. Oh, Lydia, you know. hold up a second. <laughs> Are we able to talk about these messages? I, yeah, I'm happy to talk about the messages. Okay, because I, I, like, we don't have to say who they're to or anything, but I get forwarded your messages. Oh, really? And, yeah, and they are the best. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, um, So the person that forwards them to me, and I, was, I didn't know that you weren't aware of that, so I hope that's okay. I haven't shared them anywhere else. No, I, um, just uh, just for another edit, I totally was aware of it, and it's absolutely fine. I was just going to have okay. like a moment in the podcast. Not that I'm trying to create drama, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I when I listen to them, they're always a different theme. And I really think you should consider like, this is a business idea. Seriously. <laughs> May, oh, don't, oh gosh. Cause oh, don't say that. Cause it will take all the joy out of it. And I won't want to do it anymore. Oh, okay, yeah. It's not then. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I am. Um, I really love doing it because apart from anything, like since I've started doing it, I haven't missed my own meds one single day, which is oh, huge really? for me. Because yeah. I am terrible at taking my meds, even if they are literally right in front of me. What happens, because sometimes I'll take them late, but because I've got this responsibility, which has now become a habit, because mm. that's the thing for people with ADHD, you've got to form habits, otherwise things won't get done. Um, because I've got this habit where I'm not responsible for this person's medication, but it's just that little bit of extra don't forget to do this because you've said that you would do this for your friend and you know you can do the thing for other people but you just can't do it for yourself yeah so um I always I, I always remember and what happens is like if if work moves meeting or something like that then I'll forget to take them but then I'll mm-hmm. see that person on Facebook and go ah meds and I'll send her a message and then I'll take my meds um, and what I really love to do these days is take my meds on video on zoom because I'm all about normalizing taking your meds, whatever meds yeah. those are. Um, the idea that people do it secretly and don't tell people, um, you know, I have at work, we have this thing called an advanced statement, which um, I had never heard of until I started working uh, for the BBC. I think, yeah, I'm going to say I work for the BBC. I'm a journalist, which is why we're not talking about anything too controversial on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a journalist for the BBC and my wonderful um talent manager Danny uh who was the person who called me to tell me that I've got the job and will be in my life for the rest of my life he's so wonderful he um told me about the Remploy and how um I could get support as a person with 
uh, mental health problems. And so it's this advanced statement. And what you do in the advanced statement is write down the things that trigger your mental health and the signs that Mm. people might notice if your mental health is starting to dip. Um, And it has worked wonderfully because during the summer when things were uh, difficult, I had a very difficult mental health period in the summer because of COVID, just being Mm. in the house all the time and not, you know, the the constant change or uncertainty. And I was on a call with my manager at the time. And after the call, she phoned me, like I was on a Zoom meeting with my manager and like the whole team. And after the call, she phoned me and said, right, I want you to take the rest of the day off because she had spotted something that I said in my advance statement that demonstrated that my mental health wasn't good. So I am so all about screaming about your mental health, like tell yeah. people because they're not mind readers. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, I've been diagnosed with depression since I was oh, 19. And the first thing that triggered it was being dumped for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, w- I already I always had a bit of it. And I'm now beginning to think that my depression is actually a symptom because for a few th- few years I've gone, you know, maybe I'm just a depressed person. Maybe I've just always had low serotonin. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And then mm-hmm. you find out about things, the ADHD, and you're like, no wonder I'm depressed. I like had so much potential, but I've constantly felt like I'm lazy. I'm not trying hard enough. I am wasting my time. I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting my potential. Is it any wonder that I feel so depressed when I feel so guilty all the time? So, um, and and now I can't remember where this conversation started, but I'm going to carry on with it anyway. Um, Yeah, you were saying about your meds, taking your meds and normalizing it. So I. Uh, I've always talked a lot about my depression on Facebook. And actually, the last time I did anything like this uh, was with Heidi, probably about Mm -hmm. a year ago. Um, She had me on as uh, one of her unstoppable women, which was just such a privilege. And um, I talked a lot about my mental health. And in 2018, I had a very, very bad depressive episode um, around work. And I was off work for three months. and. I just could not cope. Um, And I talked about it a lot on Facebook. And a lot of people, they say, oh, you know, best thing for your mental health, get off social media. You know, get off social Mm. media. It's terrible. If I didn't have social media, I don't know if I would be able to get through the week. Because all I have to do is post something about my health on Facebook and 20 people check on me. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not about social media isn't just this big evil thing it's about curating your social media so it works for you like I know that a lot of people hate TikTok and think it's terrible but I found my tribe on TikTok um because it's lots of lovely really short videos which seem to be specifically about me the ADHD challenge (laughs) thing and I'm like this is great I have never felt more seen you know um so it's just about recognizing what you want your social media to do for you yeah and I think it's important to to think about um you know when people are saying oh social media is bad you shouldn't be on it quite often those people aren't in a marginalized group and I think when you're 
when your life, when you literally walk out your door and the whole world is set up for you, yay, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, when you have other identities, for example, if you're queer, a person of colour, if you have neurodivergence, um, any kind of, you know, anything, then the world isn't set up for you. And there aren't places where you can easily access like-minded or uh, people with similar experiences to you so actually it's a huge privilege to say oh you know I can take or leave social media because for a lot of people that's where they find connection it's about building your own little world when the big world isn't built for you Mm -hmm. and I think that's you know that's what I use my social media for um and I don't always get it right you know um I have had people who I've thought were like-minded who have shown themselves not to be. Mm-hmm. I often read the comments when I definitely shouldn't. Yeah. But then read the comments. It's, it, that is like the number one self-care is don't read the comments, not reading the comments. Yeah. But then there are there is your tribe on there who will pick you up. Like I have people who if someone is bullying me in a racist way or if someone is making racial comments who I can go to and be like, can you just fight this battle for me? Because yeah. I haven't got the energy and it's not really my job. Mm-hmm. And they will jump up and fight that fight for me. And that's magic, you know. And if I didn't have social media, I never would have met LJ. She lives in London. How am I going to meet LJ, you know? If I didn't have social media, I probably wouldn't have even met my wife. Um, she lived approximately 10 minutes away by car, but we ran in completely different circles. Um, I don't think we would have met each other organically. In uh, As it happens, we met on Gaydar Girls, and we are one of the rare success stories. Um, <laughs> but Gaydar Girls, okay, it's a dating site, but it's still a form of social media. You know, mm-hmm. Social media, I, I've I've been on social media since face party in 2001 you know in some way or other um mm-hmm. you know I came up uh, during MySpace and I resisted Facebook for longer than you could imagine and I <laughs> resisted Twitter for even longer I was like what's the point of this and now I love it something I don't understand I don't get the the you know I'm not great on Instagram um I, I occasionally use it but it involves a, doing a thing mm-hmm. and it's a picture and I'd rather, I'd rather use my words, you know? Um, but I, I think that social media can do such great things. Like, do you remember the, um, the ice bucket challenge? Oh, yeah. What would have the ice, would the ice bucket challenge have been without social media? Oh, it would yeah. have been it like just been a person in their garden doing it once. Doing it once. <laughs> and then maybe their neighbour would hear over the fence or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that you're doing? Oh, it's the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think you're, so you're so right about marginalised communities because, and you know, there's there's hard physical evidence of that. You know, people in the 80s and early 90s who were gay and thought they were literally the only person that felt that way, you know. Yeah. And it was only because, you know, those identities weren't seen on television. No. So where else are you going to find them? Yeah, I weren't allowed to talk about it in school. Yeah, nope. so many things. So many I think, things. Um, yeah, and there's something about, because I'm, I'm a bit of a history geek and I really oh, find it too. fascinating. <laughs> um, I find it really fascinating that there's such like a, a lack of, um, you know, history of marginalised communities. Obviously, it's not an accident. Yeah. Um, 
but the history thing that, is written by the winners yeah exactly and I guess the thing that really feels good about social media now is hopefully there's this kind of ongoing recording of you know drag and um all kinds of movements and all kinds of cool stuff that maybe wouldn't have been seen or accessible to people in the past or definitely wouldn't have been um so that feels like it's really exciting as well just there's some I don't know some element of it being preserved in some way whereas before it's like every generation has to relearn what happened before there's such a disconnection I think otherwise and Um, that's so important because I I remember a few years ago and again I'm not going to go into names or dragging up the past but there was a a, you know a group of people of colour who were drag kings who talked as though they were the first kings of colour to exist um, and did not acknowledge the 15, at that that point, 15 years of drag that Jack the Lad had been doing. Mm. And at that point, seven or eight years of drag that I'd been doing, because we weren't in London, we were up in Manchester. And it's so important to learn those histories, to know where you've come from, so you know where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think of um, something that another guest actually said, um, Adele jarrett Kerr. I did a course with her a couple of weeks ago and it was an anti-racism course. And she was talking at the beginning about uh, when you introduce yourself, can you say something about your ancestors? And the point that she was making was that white people are so disconnected from their ancestry that it's like a, um, essentially it makes it easier for us to continue oppressing people of color because we have no connection to like what's come before and I just found that a really fascinating way of thinking about it because only it wasn't until recently when my grandma passed away that I found out like the jobs and the names and stuff of my grand or my grandparents and my grandparents parents Mm -hmm. whereas yeah if, if that was kind of more emphasized and there was more of a um or more of an emphasis on people needing to know where they've come from and understanding the past so they don't make those same mistakes and they, you know, change things. I think that would be really powerful. Absolutely. Like we only see, I mean, and I am I I am the same. Like we only see each other see ourselves in a couple of generations, really. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. if I was in America, if I was um, African American um, or Car- Caribbean American, should I say, because my heritage is Grenada, which is uh, mm-hmm. a tiny island in the Caribbean. And actually, my dad was born on an even tinier island next to Grenada called Karakou. Um, and we finally, I finally got to visit in 2018, thanks to my amazing wife. It was her 50th birthday. And she said, why don't we go to Grenada so that you can experience it? And Mm. it was like going home. Like I've never felt, I've never been somewhere. I was like, I feel like this is my, this is my heritage right now. Um, I don't have a strong relation, historical relationship with my ancestry. And I actually don't know a lot about my ancestry, but there's a good, chance that the reason for that is because my ancestors didn't have their own names so it's Mm -hmm. not easy to find that history you know I've looked for my ancestry in Grenada but it's a very scary thing to do because am I going to find a history where my ancestors were enslaved people Mm -hmm. and do I want to know that that history is important, but it's also very traumatic. Yeah. 
Um, and I think the answer to that question for me is yes, I would like to know more. And when, you know, we're back in a situation where we can travel, <laughs> I would like to go back to Grenada and look further into my history and mm -hmm. find out where I've come from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm starting to appreciate. I always found it interesting learning about history, but I think I'm really starting the more I learn about um social justice and stuff, I think I'm starting to appreciate just how important that is, that we need those connections and that real kind of integration with the past and what in in as a white person, like what our um ancestors have done and been involved with, um, in order to actually realise that we are accountable and, you know, there is stuff that is still happening um because of that. Whereas I think now it's very easy to have a separation. Absolutely. I mean, I, like I said at the start, I'm I'm mixed. Um, my half of my family is 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 white, mm -hmm. and so that's something that's been hard to come to terms with over the the past few years. As I've grown more into my knowledge about my heritage, and you know all of that, what that brings with it, is accepting that half of my family have benefited from, you know, effectively white supremacy and mm -hmm. the benefits of white privilege. Um, and half of my family have not. And how do I sit in that? You know, mm -hmm. because my mum is a wonderful, wonderful human being who has fought for me as her black child so hard. You know, there was one point in my childhood when I was eight years old that I didn't remember until she told me about it. She mm -hmm. reminded me about it where I was in a church play and my mum and dad walked into the rehearsal room to find people in blackface. And my mum and dad both fought to stop that and said, you know, can they just not do that? That's really mm -hmm. offensive. And apparently the blackface was more important than the feelings of a, you know, black and mixed family. And so I, I they, they pulled me out of the play and I didn't know why I was being pulled out. I just knew that I wasn't able to be in it anymore and I was very upset. Um, yeah. And they shielded me from that truth and that reality of what had actually happened. So I can't, you know, it, it my, my mum has been there fighting the fight for 30 odd years, 40 odd years. And she's been with my dad, mm -hmm. but I, I still have to accept that there is a, uh, you know, that in my ancestry, I have potentially both enslaved people and, you know, the, the enslavers. I don't know enough about the white side of my family either, to be honest. Yeah. Um, although it is unlikely because the, 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 my background on my mum's side is very, very working class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine too. Best people in yeah. the world. Working yeah, class Boltonians. So Boltonian, oh, awesome. so Boltonian that they put two syllables in the word door. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to do it because I'll, I'll be really bad. Yeah, I can Shut imagine. But I didn't want... <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I... I'm conscious of time and I oh think gosh it's quarter past seven it's not even felt like it feels like a, a moment has passed I've really yeah. enjoyed this conversation so much me too it's been so interesting um 
and I wanted to just ask you one last thing to finish up, even though I feel like I could, yeah, carry on for a long time. Absolutely. Um, so you wanted to, or I normally ask people if they're happy to share something that they're really enjoying at the moment. And I wondered what yours might be. Um, the thing I am enjoying most at the moment is Christmas. And I know that that's probably a few people might say that, and that's quite corny. But for me, um, Christmas is such an important family time. And I'm going to talk about her again because she is my person. She is my heart. She is my world. And she is making Christmas so special for me, knowing that I can't be with my mum and dad. And I would always go and spend time at my mum and dad's house. Like Christmas for for me and my family is just like one of the pinnacle moments of the year. And she has been treating me to lots of Christmassy, wintry Lego. And it's um, wonderful. And she keeps having things delivered and saying, oh, that's another one of your presents. And I'm like, oh, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, like she, she never lets us put the decorations up early. She's a real stickler. For, you know, it needs to at least be December when you put the decorations mm-hmm. up. But this year she indulged me because she knew that I needed it. I needed the the lights and and our living room is ju- just looks like Christmas threw up in there. And <laughs> it, you know, it, and we're just having a lovely time together um, in what's been a very very difficult year. So for me, it's Christmas. Oh, that's so lovely. Yay. I feel a bit more Christmassy now having heard you say that. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lydia. Um, I'll share some links of um, where people can come and find you. And also, how can people access your poetry? Because it's really amazing. Poetry. I didn't even talk about the poetry. No, we didn't get to it. Um, So here's the funny thing. um, And I'm going to talk about neurodivergence again. I have not got a spot where I have my poems. Um, because 2020 was going to be the year that I, um, that I actually published, but then that all went mm. out of the window. Um, but I think that if you search hashtag lids poetry, L Y D S poetry, you can find my stuff. Um, I think I've got it open for people to see. Great. Um, and that's on Twitter? That's on Facebook. That's on, on Facebook. Facebook. Oh, okay. Yes. Awesome. Old okay, school. I am I'm I'm an elder millennial, so I'm still pretty much addicted to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm probably the same. I was just wondering because I always associate hashtags with um Twitter and um Instagram. That's probably me just not knowing enough about hashtags on Facebook. Well, the thing um, about hashtags on Facebook is it's if you if you get one that's um like really that's yours so like lids mm. poetry no one else is using lids poetry and it just means that if I want to find a poem I can just type in hashtag lids poetry and they all come up that's so good it's okay great. great so everyone should go and now search that on Facebook because I saw you read some of your poetry at Thrive and it was really really brilliant and I'm going to do that too this evening oh thank, thank you. you so much Lydia it's been brilliant talking to you I've loved it Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for continuing to pursue me when I would definitely forgotten that I'd agreed to do it. I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, and thank you for being a really bright spot in my week this week. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Lydia. 
do go ahead and check out her work and make sure that you do search for her poetry on Facebook. It's really worth looking for. Although we're nearing the end of the series now, I will of course be back next week with another guest. And in the meantime, if you're interested in taking part in the Making Waves course, make sure that you head to gemkennedy.com slash makingwaves and use podcast 10 to get 10% off of the course before the end of April 2021. That's all for today and I will see you next week. Bye everyone.